Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Buenos dias! Como estas? Hello, this is Helen from Helen's Wines. Hint, hint, you might know the theme of today's podcast. I guess you already know it because you saw the title. But I'm Helen from Helen's Wines, a wine shop based in Los Angeles. It's a little gem box curation of all the dope wines located inside of John and Vinny's, which is a restaurant. There are two locations, one on Fairfax, one in Brentwood. You can also follow along with me on Instagram at Helen's Wines or check out our website, helenswines.com, for the wine club, which is wine that is shipped to you Anywhere in California, more states coming soon. I promise the wine club is the truth, but this is Wine Phase, my podcast that is bringing wine education, wine 411 to a digestible and pleasant level because that's where I like to be. I like to be at a pleasant level all the time. Wanted to announce first here my new Netflix show, Vino Judger. <laughs> I'm just kidding. There is no Netflix show. It's a joke I just made. I thought Vino Judger is a really weird name and kind of cool. So who knows what will come of Vino Judger. We might have a podcast that's called Vino Judger and it's just lightning fire, taste 20 wines, judge them. But not in like the judgy way your aunts judge you. Sorry, aunties, but you can be a little judgmental. Okay, so today, hola España. I wanted to do kind of a overview, scratch the surface of Spain because you know what? We've never really talked about it. We just talked about the Canary Islands and it sort of sparked me mente or mind. Sorry. <laughs> the Spanglish might be real in this episode because yo necesito practicar mi español porque mi familia hablando español. Okay, I need to practice Spanish, but probably not on this podcast today. Spain is real, real cool and also real, real hot. The Canary Islands we talked about, if you haven't listened to that podcast, it's such a good little overview of this microcosmic area. And one of the goals is kind of, let's do a scratch the surface and then we do a deep dive. But Spain, I think up until today has kind of gotten a bad rap. It's often overlooked except for like a few choice areas like Rioja and Priorat. And it hasn't really been on people's radar 
But I think in the last five years, especially with the rise of the natural wine and organic wine movement and people accepting those wines into culture and recognizing them for the dope-ass gems that they are, and the move away from these high-volume conventional wines that have all this marketing money behind them, I think Spain is actually popping up or should be popping up as one of the hot spots to get amazing wine at incredible value. Doesn't mean it's always going to be inexpensive. Let me tell you, there's some expensive ass Spanish natural wine, but we'll get into that. So basically Spain is like the phoenix rising in the European winemaking world. What people don't realize is that Spain is actually the third largest winemaking region in the world, which is crazy because Spain isn't that big and they have millions of acres under vines. So it's pretty impressive when you have millions of acres, y'all. Like that's a lot of wine. And just like France, there are wine laws in España, in Spain, breaking the law. And there's some people breaking the law, but the wine laws of Spain are different than France. They have different names. As a as a collective group of laws, they're called the Denominaciones de Origen. Listen, my I try with my pronunciation and enunciation, but bear with me. So short is the DO, like in France, it's the AOC. Here it's the DO. And there's two tiers to how the technical wine laws of Spain work. And the reason I always start with this is because in every country, for the most part, that has a winemaking region, there's a set of governmental laws. And in the case of Europe, the EU has some part of that because agriculture is a regulated thing. And I think it's interesting to first take a look at the structure that has been put in place and then zoom out and talk about current events, what's happening, what are the wines I'm buying, how are those being classified, how do we look at the system, is it broken, is it cool? I think it's important, you know, for all my young baby psalms that come and work for me, they're super excited usually about organic wine, natural wine, but I always encourage them, especially for a place like France, you have to go back to the basics. You have to learn what is the AOC? What are the winemaking regions? What are the archetype varietals? Who are, you know, these old school winemakers who there's so much tradition and history there. So everything is important is what I'm saying. And everything is awesome. And this is the Lego episode. No, it's not. We're not sponsored by Lego. I take it back. Kids do not drink wine until you're 21 years old or 18 in Europe. So there's two tiers. So when you're talking about the denominaciones de origen for Spain, which can be shortened by the DO, there's two tiers of how the technical wine laws of Spain look. Like how does Spain look at wine? There is the first tier, which is quality wines that are produced in a specific region. And then there's table wine. And all of the table wine, all of this is in compliance with a European Commission regulation. So the European Commission is regulating these two tiers. And I think what they're trying to do in having these two levels is they're trying to separate the good from the bad or defining quality versus not high quality based on region. But as we know, and as more is being revealed, you know, the onion is getting peeled. There's many winemakers who might be in the table wine category who are deviating from the traditional path or might not be recognized as a quality region who are making amazing wine. So I think it's also important to just keep an open wine. That's why we're cracking this nut open. We're just going to crack it wide open, you know, and then do a little dance. There are different dialects in different parts of Spain. 
So like the Basque region, the Spanish is slightly different than Catalonia, which is slightly different than the community of Madrid. So I'm just going to say the Spanish OG version because the Basque dialect freaks me out and intimidates me. I'm super excited by it, but I definitely will butcher it and I don't want to do it any disservice. So the overall blanket for wines, for quality wines, the overall blanket for like how to classify the the wines, the different tiers of wine, are quality wines produced in a specific region, aka QWPSR. I know this is so technical and textbooky, but bear with me. So we got this cozy blanket we're pulling over the wine. Quality wines produced in a specific region, or in Spanish, vino de calidad producido en región determinada, or aka VCPRD in Spanish. Um, and so within that, here's the tiers, right? So obviously, like in a technical way, they're looking at things in a broad spectrum, two tiers, right? Quality wines, table wine. Now we're getting into the nitty gritty of how they're actually designated and defining within those two tiers what the wines are called. So top of the heap, according to the Spanish government or the European Commission, top of the heap is category called Vino de Pago. And this refers to wine regions that aspire to very to like the very highest standards with extremely strict geographical criteria. And it's usually a Vino de Pago is centering on a specific estate with an international reputation. So Vega Cecilia would fall into this category. So it's wines that are pretty famous. They're from a very specific area, and a lot of times it's just probably one estate making wine. And in all of Spain, there's only 14 estates with this status. Uh, so, hmm, cheche la status. Now, I just want to note, this doesn't necessarily mean they're the best wines. I think that they're probably all amazing, but I think I like to keep an open mind of what does it mean to be a good wine? What does it mean to be a wine that I want to drink? It doesn't mean I'm just going apeshit for the Vino de Pago. That is definitely not true. Okay, then one step down is the DOCA or Denominación de Origen Calificada. So this is regions with a track record of proven quality. Uh, and there's only two in this category. And they are some of the most famous for red wine coming out of Spain that most people know, and that's Rioja and Priorat. Kind of gets you thinking that this governmental designation ties in with the market. No, I'm just kidding. It's all a conspiracy. But a lot of times when I bring up Spanish wine to people, they're like, oh yeah, Rioja. And I'm like, oh yeah, there's so many other regions in Spain that are, in my opinion, are more interesting than Rioja. Rioja to me hits one note. And it can be a great note. Sometimes it's killer, but it's kind of homogenous to me. So that's the DOCA. So Vino de Pago, DOCA, and then it goes into the DO, Denominación de Origen. And then this is pretty much everybody else. So it's like there's 16 like little special areas, and then it's everybody else. And this millions of acres of vineyards. So it's kind of crazy. This is everyone else. More mainstream quality wines, I guess. You could refer to it that way. You know, 70 regions qualify for this under the eyes of the law. Again, brick breaking the law. We love to break the law on the wine discussions. But yeah, I guess that that's how you, and I buy a lot of wines that are classified as DO wines. Then for that second tier we talked about in the beginning for quote unquote table wine, aka en Espanol, vino de la tierra, or for short, VDIT, 
or vino de mesa. I know it's too many options, but let's just say it's the VDIT. So a table wine. This has 42 regions. And the craziest thing is some of these regions are some of my favorite areas for winemaking. Yes, they're more up and coming. And yes, the reality is, is that in the past, a lot of these places were just making bulk wine for mass consumption, non-vintage, like for everyday drinking. It's like for Spaniards who want to drink wine and they don't want to spend a lot of money. So it was labeled this way. This is basically what people would call country wines. It's really, really interesting that this classification exists. In some ways, it could kind of be seen as the Vendée France movement in France, but not really because it's, it has a classification. It's a, it's a VDIT. But a lot of the wines that I buy, they don't necessarily write like, yo, I'm a VDIT and I'm from this dope place because I think it diminishes what that quality is actually in the bottle. Short trip down history lane, recent history. In 2006, Spain tried to go for their version of Avant de France, uh, which would be like taking away, like declassifying the wine, not having any wine rules associated with it. And that would be called the Vineros de España, but the European Commission, the EU did not accept it. And so that went adios in 2011. So anyway, let's talk about like wine laws aside and what's actually happening. It's very interesting. I think there's a lot of movements rising up and there's a lot of change, especially in Catalonia and Galicia. These are two hotbed areas and Madrid, the community of Madrid. There's a lot of action going on with young winemakers coming in, taking back the land and making cool shit. So there's a lot of Spain to be seen, especially in the next 10 years. Most of Spain is carved into what they call autonomous community. Okay, so this gets really technical, but I think it's really interesting. So all of Spain is carved up into these autonomous communities, which is governmental designation that is a first, like every community has a first level political and administrative division that's in accordance with the Spanish constitution of 1978. So I think that what people don't realize is that Spain was a fascist government for a very long time. And it's relatively recently that they became more of an autonomous governing body. So the Spanish constitution of 1978 had the aim of guaranteeing limited autonomy of the nationalities and regions that make up Spain. Because a lot of Spaniards think of the different parts of Spain as actually different countries, even though they're all part of it. So let me just deep dive into this for a second, because I think it's fascinating and I'm geeking out on history or structure of government. So Spain is not a federation, but a highly decentralized unitary state. So while sovereignty is vested in the nation as a whole, like there's Spain represented in the central institutions of government, the nation has in like different degrees developed power to the, like devolved their power to the individual communities, not like towns, but these community states, which I'll lift, list off. So it's kind of like Estados Unidos, it's kind of like the United States, which in turn, these little individual communities exercise their right 
to self-government within the limits that are set forth in the Constitution, you know, drawn out by the overarching Spain. Each community has their own set of devolved powers. Typically, the communities with a stronger local nationalism, like Catalonia, have more powers. This type of devolution is call, has been called asymmetrical. Some scholars refer to the resulting system as a federal system in all but name. So it's basically like a federation without federalism. I don't know. Anyway, the semantics of this are getting in the way, but there's all these state communities and the unique framework of this territorial administration is known as state autonomies. So for all y'all high school students out there (laughs) listening to my podcast, you know, you might want to talk about this in your history class or whatever that United Nations thing. I didn't do it, but anyway. Hate to do this, but I have to briefly interject on myself to talk to you a little bit about one of our dope sponsors, Native. Y'all know that Helen's Wines is located in the back of a restaurant that I also own with my business partners, John and Vinny. And, you know, one of the first keys to hospitality when you get into it is you show up clean, You don't want to smell, you want clean clothes, you want to take a shower, you want clean hair because you're serving people food and you got to reach into the tables at times, you know, which brings me to this very important sort of PSA for everybody out there. You know, I like the natural smell of myself and I do love the natural smell of my partner, Alex Becerra. Love you, baby. However, in a professional setting and if you're going out to the club, it's nice to, you know, take care of your body and not necessarily have your natural odors permeate to everybody around you, which is why, you know, from time to time I do use Native. I personally don't wear deodorant every day, but when I do, I have really been digging on the Native vibes. It's a deodorant company that creates safe and simple and effective products. I think some people know that there's, you know, some weird shit that can be in deodorant. And if you know me and you listen to this podcast, you know, I'm not into weird, mysterious shit in the things I eat, drink, or apply to my body. But Native is formulated without aluminum, without parabens or talc. And it's filled with ingredients that are found in nature, like coconut oil, which is antimicrobial, shea butter, which is moisturizing, and tapioca starch, which absorbs wetness. It's made in the USA. The ingredients are thoughtfully sourced. It's not tested on animals, which is super key to me. It's a deodorant I can actually get behind, which is the first in a long time for me. They have like 7,000 five-star reviews and have been on like Good Morning America. I mean, it's bananagrams. You know, I tend to go unscented because, again, I don't like a lot of scents and perfumes. Charcoal. Uh, scent is actually super dope. They make scents for men, scents for women. There's a seasonal rose scent. It's like, why not? Get a little floral. It's July. But listen, for listeners of Wine Face, I got a special offer if you want to check this shit out. All right? For 20% off, that's a good percentage off. 20% off your first purchase. All you got to do is visit nativedeodorant.com. That is nativedeodorant.com. Dot com, and you want to use the promo code WINEFACE, all one word during checkout. And that's going to give you 20% off 
your first purchase. So make sure you add multiple sticks to your cart (laughs) because the great thing about native is the scents are so natural and awesome. Maybe you want to have three or four different flavors depending on what your outing is. Anyway, 20% off. You go to nativedeodorant.com. Use the promo code WINEFACE. Back to wine. So each autonomous community, there are different levels of classified wines based on the area. So right, what we just talked about before I devolved into talking about state power, DOP, DOCA, the VDIT, the Vinos de la Tierra, all the different levels, the AKA the table wine. So all, let me list these communities out and I'll touch on the few that I'm really excited about, but we'll start in the Northeast corner of Spain and go clockwise. And all of these are known winemaking areas. And within all of them, they have different levels of classification for wine. So we start with Galicia, which is in like the northeast corner of Spain. Unlike the rest of Spain, actually, Galicia is like super lush, super green. The most famous region there that people might know is the Rioche Baixas. And they talk with like a Rioche Baixas uh, region. It's where like Albarino reigns supreme. It's a craggly coastline. I think in a previous podcast, I've talked about the Albemar family making wine there, where like the salty sea influences, vibes with the Albarino so nice, nice, and it's not sweet. It's really salty, super delicious. So Galicia is a community, Basque country, Pais Vascos. There's probably more famously the La Rioja region and Navarra community. That area is pretty unique because the Duero River, which also runs through Portugal, influences much of this region. It's a little more hilly. It's an area that's mostly defined by the Tempranillo grape. They also grow Verdejo for white wine. And fun fact, another name for Tempranillo is Tinto Toro. Olé! Okay, moving on, there's the community of Madrid, Aragon, Catalonia or Catalonia. Sidebar in Catalonia, it's probably the like has the most famous product coming out of there is cava and behind that priorat, much of which I don't purchase a lot of. I purchase a lot of wine from Catalonia, just not from those specific areas or that specific style of wine. But the reason is, is outside of cava and priorat, Catalonia has long time been one of those bulk wine producing areas and it's dry and has Mediterranean influence. But listen, y'all, tides are turning. Okay, then there's Mallorca. I mean, who's friends? Someone's got to have friends in Mallorca. I definitely follow a couple of people on Instagram. Maybe they're not my friends, whatever, doesn't matter. Who we're in Mallorca or are in Mallorca. And I'm like, yo, sign me up. I need to go now and I need to wear white linen. Another community, Valencia. Then there's Castilla-La Mancha, Murcia, Andalusia. Andalusia is like really south, super hot, Moorish influence. Um, It's most famous for sherry productions. Also, By the way, dry sherry is life. It's amazing. I got to do a podcast on sherry. We have an amazing vermouth, also as a sidebar, from Spain in the shop right now, made by the brilliant minds at Partita Cruz. And it's called the Muzz. And you just keep it in your fridge and you can just sip on the Muzz with a little cheese and charcuterie and some olives. It's heaven. Last three communities, Extremadura, the Canary Islands, and Castilla y Leon. So... Within all those different communities, there's so much action going on. I got to say, the areas that I'm really focusing on 
as far as the wines that we're carrying at Helen's are Catalonia and Galicia. If I was going to make like broad statements and a little Castilleon because, you know, there's some dope shit over there. Just to give you an idea, those two areas are two that have a lot of those vino de tierras, like a lot of that table wine. But a lot of the wines that I buy from there, I would, there's no way in hell I would call those a table wine. Some of them are actually quite expensive. So wines that I'm obsessed with right now, we just talked about the Canary Islands. I'm really obsessed with those. But for white wine, we have these in the shop. Check it out. There's this really amazing slight skin contact white wine from Clolatinskas. Uh, it's called the Peril Blanc. It's from Penedas in Catalonia, and it's made from a grape varietal called Zarello. It has this like antiquity painting label. It's just chic 30. It's amazing. Got to shout out my girl, Laura Lorenzo. She's like a young dreaded mama. She's so rad. She's making wine in Galicia, in the Riviera Sacra. She's one of the first female winemakers making wine in Galicia, which is historically very male-dominated winemaking region, partly because the terrain is so extreme where she's making wine. Steep, craggly, hills. This I have this white wine from her right now, Camino de la Frontera. It's made from Verdejo and Malvasia, and it's like swinging in a hammock in the sunshine, and then you go jump in the ocean. It's just like clean and pretty and mellifluous. It's amazing. Got to shout out Nacho. Tu sabes Nacho, Nacho Gonzalez, making wine also in Galicia. He makes the La Perdida wines, and they come in once a year. I can only buy like six of each bottle. They're game changers. You got to come in. Partita Cruz, also from Catalonia. As you can see, a lot of the wines, it's like ping pong, back and forth, Catalonia, Galicia. And why is that? Is because those were regions where there's land that's affordable to some of these up and coming winemakers who can focus on like, yo, this is actually dope terroir. And sometimes government takes a while to catch up to all these special things. And maybe they don't even want government to catch up because then you got to pay more taxes. People always ask me about Vino Verde. That is not Spanish, so we'll have to cover Vino Verde in it, but a lot of times think it is. I just want to sidebar into that. Let me finish this out with a couple reds obsessed with. Uh, I really love this Amoro Tinto from Bodegas Vinificate. They are located in Cadiz, and it's a Tintilla de Rota and Tempranillo. It's, you chill it down. It's acidic. It's bright. It's awesome. There's a really cool co-fermentation we have from Galicia, from Cume de Avia. It's called Dos Canotos, and it's made from Caino Longo. I mean, I know I'm speaking Spanish here, and you don't know what I'm saying, but trust me, ultimate summer chilled red. Last couple, Microbio. Amazing winemakers in Castilla Leon. We have their pet gnats in stock. They're called Nieva York. Ch -ch -ch Check it out. And then last but not least, for my full-bodied red lovers, you got to get to know Monastrell. There's a winemaker, Celer de les Os. It's their Merla. They're making it in Catalonia, and it is bomb.com. Listen. Spain is the truth. Let's all get on a plane and go visit Helen's Wine Tour to Spain. Maybe one day. We're going to see. I hope you enjoyed just this like slight little dive, scratching the service on Spain. Support Spanish wine. It's super dope. It's so summery. It goes with grilled meats. goes with seafood. I just say get into it. This is Wine Face. Hopefully we broke down Spain a little bit and it didn't get too confusing and maybe you got a little history. It's always good to reorient yourself in history through wine. It's one of my favorite 
things to do. Like 1978 wasn't that long ago. For more information, go to helenswines.com. You can join the wine club. We send Spanish wines out in the wine club all the time. And if you like this podcast, I write cute little notes and I send them along with it. Yeah, Instagram at Helen's Wines. But please, more than anything, subscribe, rate, and review. And we want to hear from you about what you want to hear from me about my wine face. All right, y'all. Take care. Bye.